Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, welcome to Black Ticulate, a podcast series featuring UK young black professionals where we find out how they do what they do so you can too. Or not. After all, it is your life. <laughs> Yo, hey guys, welcome to another episode of Black Ticulate. You already know, you already know. Well, actually, I hope you already know. We feature young UK black professionals trying to extract exactly how it is they do what they do. So you can too. So today's guest, he's nothing short of amazing. Honestly, he's brilliant. His name is Ola, the comedian and... We caught up with him just to discuss what life is like as a comedian and how he got into it. Um, It was just really fascinating just to get his take on him being a black man in the industry. And I hope you guys, if you are thinking about having a career as a comedian, that this might help you. At the very least, you know someone's doing it. Someone from our background, someone who looks like us, someone who's ninja, um, who loves his jollof. (laughs) Um, No, seriously. That's what he had for breakfast when I met him, jollof rice. Because he had to, he had to. Um, yeah, but overall, guys, as always, please do give us any feedback if there is anything that we haven't asked. If it's a career that you do and there are other bits that you can help teach, then please do get in touch. Please do review us. Please do share, do comment. Um, without further ado, we bring to you Ola, Ola the Comedian. Like it's straight for jollof, you know. No yeah. you no, proper no, Niger. No, of course, man. Look, my wife made the the banging jollof, so That's I was like, stuff. forget all that fruit and fiber, <laughs> waste of time. Let's get down to the real deal. That jollof that gives you that sturdy belly. That just gives you life. It man. gives you life for the whole day. I'm still buzzing <laughs> off that one meal. Nah, I'm just gonna eat again. But, but nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, jollof for life. All right, cool. So let's uh, kick off. All right, what up, what up, what up, guys? Once again, you already know what this is Black Ticulate. <laughs> you know, black stories, positive actions. And in front of me, I always have amazing people. And today's no different. It never is any different. Whenever you hear the content, it's all about positivity, it's all about amazing millennials doing Jeez. great things. And in front of me, I've got Ola, the comedian. Yeah. Say, Wagwan, Ola. Uh, 
Wagwan. Just because wagwan. you told me to say it, yeah. I would have said hello. I would have said hello. <laughs> I would have said hello. Bowling. Hey. Uh, you see? Put it on your bus. Yeah, you know, you know, we got culture out here. <laughs> cultured fellas, man. Brilliant. Well, thank you okay. for having me on, man. No, no, it's an absolute pleasure. I like how you started off the podcast. I didn't know if it was like a podcast or a hip hop cipher. He was like, you already know what it is. It's about to be your. It's no, all no, no. Ah, that's actually reminds me. It reminds me. Did you uh, get onto a show in the US and the host? She pretty much brought you on by saying he's got a sexy name. Oh my god! Yeah. She was a. Uh, oh yeah, that was yeah. wild, man. She was really feeling it. She really got into my name, man. She was. She was like, hola, hola, hola. <laughs> His name is just so sexy, hola. Oh, then, she, then, then DJ put on like some slow jam instrumental. Yeah. She just say my name on the. Like, I like you know. Got hot underneath the collar. A little bit, you know, like I was feeling myself a little bit. Okay, maybe this comedy thing's for me. You know, <laughs> you know, I'm killing the game this much. All right, let's speak about your comedy because predominantly that's how I come to know you, and you are fundamentally one of the best comedians I know. Oh, wow. You don't know that many comedians. No, you're right. Yeah. I'm actually, you're actually the only comedian I know. Oh, snap. <laughs> but so, I'm the best and no, the worst. Uh, hold tight, though. But in a sense where people think they're funny, myself yeah. included, I like to think I'm funny. Okay. But I can't ever say I'm a professional comedian. Of course not. Right? So actually, how, how do you break that down? How do you decide that you are professional as opposed to someone who just thinks they're funny? Well, I mean, there are many markers, you know. Mm. First of all, the fact that comedy clubs actually pay me to go out and do this that kind of marks some of that professional aspect of it i feel like artistically the moment you decide that making people laugh is a means to an end that's when you become a professional comedian ah, okay. you see like when when people go to a comedy show it's not because there's no one else who can make them laugh most people have a family member friend they have a YouTube video or they have something that can make them laugh. Yeah. When they come to see you as a comedian, they kind of want a certain level of mastery. Like you have mastered this art so much that it's almost guaranteed I'm going to laugh. Yeah. And you're just going to give me um, a snippet of, of art in laughter form. Right? So... Um, no, I get that. I get yeah, that. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So, yeah. so people do people do, do different things with with it. Some people use it to challenge society. Some people to challenge do it use it to challenge the government and and to be political. Some people use it just to spread information. Some people use it just to try and make you forget about stuff, or right. to try and like remind you of what stuff is and show you the funny side of it. But either way, what most professional comedians realize is that you get past the point where you where you stop trying to make people laugh. Okay. That's what makes a lot of people not funny is the fact that they're trying to make you laugh. Right. When a comedian takes up his job, most of the time, maybe say I'm trying to make you laugh or whatever. You're not trying to make you laugh anymore. Because you get to a point where you realise I can do that. That's done. That's now, easy. now where do I go from here? Okay. And so it's and, like and you as well, a person starts to grow now. But then I actually read somewhere that you said you want your comedy to be useful. So what do you mean by that? I mean, in general, I want to be useful as a person. Yeah, we've, we've had that conversation <laughs> yeah. literally just upstairs. Exactly. Right? When I was getting this nice ass hazelnut mocha. That I tell you what, Ola, yeah. Right don't, let, don't let that jollof rice in the morning fool you, man. Don't man, it's bougie, you, man. bro. 
He's bougie. I still ordered a hazelnut mocha in a second. You don't even know. He ordered it. Know. And he even told her how to make it. You should have got that syrup right. You should. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't quite get it right. The espresso is not quite the right espresso. But you know how it is. You have to say, you have to give them a chance. They're still hey. trying to come up. Yeah, well, they're still trying to come up. <laughs> trying to come up in the game. It's not everyone that knows how to make a good hazelnut mocha. But anyway. But yeah, tell us about this, what you mean by being useful. You can, I feel like it's more of a life philosophy. You know, like I don't really want to come to this world and then leave and people just like oh oh all is gone okay i guess so and life carries on as normal right like i want it to be a case of i made a mark and there was a reason why i lived i want to live a life of purpose i want to live an extraordinary life an exceptional life i want to do exceptional things and so even the way in the way i approach comedy it's like i want the comedy to have use in society but mm-hmm. the way i always think about it is this if you're in a post-apocalyptic society oh, wow, and okay. everything was like falling apart, I know people don't necessarily think, oh, we need the comedians, let's save the comedians. If, if let's say we had to think about who we're going to sacrifice to the dragon or who we're going to kill and eat, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You start looking at how people are useful to society. We might say, okay, we need to keep the doctors. Um, you might say, we need to keep that guy, he has good leadership skills. We need to keep that guy, he's strong. But I would like to believe that if we were building a society, comedians have a part to play. Not just in the comic relief, but also because comedians kind of become almost like the philosopher kings of our day. You know, the, the people who are at the forefront of thought, people who are pushing new ideas, people who are, who are changing the way that we look at things. Comedians have done a lot. You can't imagine how much comedians have done towards changing public attitudes to certain things like race and um, gender and uh, homosexuality and so on. The fact that comedians have that power of making you laugh almost means they can say anything to you. And a lot of the best comedians... Sorry. Hey, no, name. it is what it is. Guys, you know, I'm trying to find the quiet spot out here. But it's, a, it's a nightmare. It's like Central you want to find the quiet spot. Someone comes and goes, oh, it's way too quiet over here. Yeah. I need just... to make some noise. Let me just smash a few things around. <laughs> let me turn my radio on. <laughs> let me just walk right past you. Bet. Just look at what you're doing. Yeah. But what's interesting is you're saying basically, oh, do you reckon comedians are the unsung heroes then? Because you say they change our perception. And it's not I, even it's very unsung different. heroes, because I feel like even a comedian, you can get a bit self-involved. You can be a bit, it can be a bit self-aggrandizing. So I'm not going to go so far as to say we are unsung heroes, but there was definitely a time in, I'm going to go further back, but let's say even in ancient Greek times, where you would have philosophers like Socrates and Aristotle, and they would be at the forefront of thought. They would say things, wise things. People would gather to listen to them, and they would take this knowledge and this wisdom out into their life, and it would affect society, right? But nowadays, we don't necessarily gather around to hear anyone give us wisdom, unless you're particularly religious, and you do that every week by going to church, mosque, etc. So what the, the vast masses of society do is gather for entertainment. So the messages that entertainers give often serve the purpose of what Aristotle or Socrates would have done in the past. Yeah, I never thought about it that way. Well, this is it. So when you, when you realize that position that you have, you then say, okay, so what's my use here? My use here is to disseminate the kind of information and wisdom that's going to change society. And I'm going to do that by holding a mirror up to society, satirizing society, um, by just basically saying the things that people almost need to hear the things they need to hear but wouldn't necessarily want to hear or go and hear it themselves yeah 
sometimes you need because you have that medium of laughter i can tell somebody i can tell white people about racism and they will accept it quicker if i'm making them laugh while i'm telling them as opposed to if i gave a lecture that just made them feel attacked yeah and you know sort and of instantly gone in defense yeah exactly so um, that's why i feel that that's the kind of use i see comedy having and that's, that's why I feel the need that there's a bigger purpose to all of this than to just be funny because yeah. you can be funny like tripping over and falling and there's nothing Slapstick. wrong with yeah, yeah. nothing wrong with clowning and so on that has its part and its place but for me I always say there's a difference between a clown and a comedian one has something to say yeah. and I came to be a comedian that has something to say that has something to say yeah 100% I mean guys we can do multiple things right? and I always say this on a podcast so Whilst you're at it, man, type in, how do we get to you? How can we see some of your stuff? Um, oh, Olodacomedian.com? Olodacomedian.com. All my social media is on there, but it's like everything is Olodacomedian. O-L-A-T-H-E. So ask me if it's the or da. It's the. Olodacomedian. <laughs> And yeah. Um, yeah, if you type that into Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, yeah. it'll pop up. So, I mean, honestly, as you're listening to Ola speak, hopefully you're also seeing why his comedy is the way it is, because it's intellectual. Um, there's some yeah. there's some depth. I mean, there's layers. Honestly, I, I walked away listening to your set and still thinking back and then going, that was smart. I appreciate that, that man. I no, appreciate no, 100%. that. Now, nice I, I want to almost then bring this into... Um, what I do here in terms of trying to give useful tips and you know resources and how to's almost like you know guides for people who want to be who want to aspire to be comedians like okay. let's start with your background for instance how did you know you wanted to do this I mean where you where you growing up what, what was this did you have to tell a lot of jokes to stay out of trouble it's not one of them <laughs> lifestyles I mean to be honest I've, like, I've tried to chart it back because I don't necessarily have all the same traits as every other comedian started out. I have some similarities. Um, being bullied as a kid. You know, I used to get bullied for being smart. That was my thing. Okay. Because I did well in school, it it drew other kids teasing and whatnot. And then you start to have to decide who you want to be as a human being. You start going, well, do I want to dumb myself down? Or am I just, am I going to look at them and say, no, there's something wrong with you. I'm going to be excellent in what I do. Yeah. And my mum always tried to encourage me to continue to be excellent, that it's their own jealousies and whatnot that make them tease you for doing that, but you can't let that stop you from being excellent. So even though I even though I'm now like in comedy it's not an academic sphere, there is a certain amount to which I still sort of I'm very headstrong about being somewhat intellectual about my comedy, even when it's not convenient to be. Where I'd probably do better by just being stupid and simple. I would rather stick to who I am yeah, no, because of that background. Um, I know that when I was growing up as a child, I, I perceived a lot of injustice. And, and you know, kids' injustice is very different from, like, adult injustice. Yeah. But it was, like, still injustice to me. One time a girl in school, uh, and it sounds funny to say I was bullied by a girl, but this was real talk. Her mom was our teacher and her, her auntie was the headmistress. Right, so she got away with murder. Yeah. And me and my friends, we made like paper airplanes. We flew them in the playground. One landed near her foot, so she stepped on it. She picked it up. She ripped it up, looking at me in the eye, like, "Yeah, I'm doing it. Now. What? <laughs> Take that." And I couldn't do. I think I pushed her or something like that. Like, why'd you do that for? Yeah. Then I now got in trouble with her mum. Mum's like, "I don't want to hear about blah, blah blah. You shouldn't push a girl." I was like, you "Shouldn't push a girl? What is this? Are we? Is there no sense of fairness here?" Like, you know, it, 
I, so when I grew up and I was always looking at things like sort of these sort of dogmatic rules like oh you can't push a girl so we're just going to completely ignore everything that happened beforehand yeah. I was like well someone needs to speak about that situation and how it exists in real life you know well, we have these rules I understand why we have these rules but I, we also need to talk about the fact that there are clearly some women abusing these rules yeah. that's an injustice in my life as far as I'm concerned girls were like my um uh Looking for the fancy word for for like your don't make it fancy. Your nemesis, your yeah, basically yeah. your nemesis. Let's keep it nemesis. Kill. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I had the word in my head, but I forgot it. But I couldn't find it. But you know what it is. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. girls were like my nemesis. Like at that point in my life, you know, because it just seemed like girls got away with everything. Girls had my my younger sister had no responsibility. She could pinch me, and if I hit her back, I got in trouble. In school, it was the same way. Um, girls never had to carry the heavy stuff and so on so in, you know I, it's funny for me because i grew up into a world and we talk about male privilege we talk about why we need feminism and so on but in that small world for me that was an injustice growing up as a male in what seemed like a very female dominated world so i was like you know i wish there was a way someday i could just stand up and like say what's on my mind and people listen like i want to give speeches and stuff like that but I was just like, I don't understand like how you would get into that as a career. So I just kind of put it aside. I didn't even ever consider it as a thing. It wasn't, it's only now when I go back that I realized I was that person. Yeah. Um, I didn't watch stand-up comedy properly until I'd say my teen years. But even then, I just, I just loved it. I just found it like amazing, um, but never considered it as something I could do. What were, what were you then, since that was something, I guess, Secondary, yeah. what was your primary focus, or was it something your parents put you pushing well, yeah, I mean, my to watch? I was always. What were you I studying? Mean, I, I was about, well, <laughs> at GCSE, I did everything like triple science, math, all, all that kind of stuff. Smashed it. I did, yeah, Spanish and arts and whatnot. I did all kinds of stuff, right? I did a whole range of because stuff. Because you could. I did 10 GCSEs, I think I got like four A stars and six A's or whatever. So I was kind of in that position where I could do almost anything I wanted. And I think at one point I wanted to like make computer games or whatever. And I wanted to do something technological. I always seemed to be like pretty good with computers okay. and that kind of stuff. By the time I got to like A level, I settled on investment banking. Oh, wow. Okay. And that was what I was going to do because basically I... Just out of interest, um, so the audience know, where did you grow up? In Croydon. In Croydon? Yeah. Right, you still live in Croydon, don't you? Still live in Croydon. Thornton Heath, born and raised, lived in like five different houses, all in Thornton Heath. Yeah. About that Thornton Heath life. Yeah. And um, Shout out to anyone in Thornton Heath. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and I went to Trinity School in Shirley, and um, when I left Trinity, I was All the way like, to sixth form, was this? Yeah, all the way to sixth form. Um, when I left Trinity, I was... I was like, well, I've always sort of been in these elite institutions, always been like pushing towards the top of the class. I'm always like really good in that field. So I just need to be in like the best company to work for, um, you know. And the plan was that I would go and work for an investment bank. I'd go make a, a stack of money and then I'd go become an international businessman and retire yeah, by 40 or whatever. I don't know. but just Sounds very Niger influenced, yeah. you know, by the parents. Exactly. So I just wanted to do something that would make other people proud, basically. Mm. And it was while I was at uni, I began to realize that um, what you needed life to go to? wasn't for me. Pardon? What uni did you go to? I went to London School of Economics. So yeah, that just all contributed to that. Yeah, of course, you're complex. definitely seen in a different yeah, light as that, well. Right? That whole see. psyche of like, I go to the best place. Like, 
I need to find the best university for finance and stuff like that. And yeah, London School of Economics, number three in the tables for uh, best unis in the country, best one for economics, best one for account. No, it was second bit. No, it was best for economics at the time. I keep switching with UCL. And then it was like best for accounting and finance, which was my course. So I was just, I had that complex in my head that I wear and do, I'm going to be the best at it. Mm. But I began to realize I wanted to be an investment banker for all the wrong reasons, just to like show off, prove to people. I wanted to wear a suit, put a newspaper under my arm and carry an umbrella and catch the train and be looking spiffy and whatnot. Like, yeah. That's very interesting that that was your yeah. aspiration. That was my aspiration. Because I just wanted people to look at me and be like, that guy is the guy. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Like I wanted people to look at me and be like, yeah, he's, he's, he's doing it. Like, and I, Now, I guess it can creep in because you know you're human you want people to sort of recognize your achievements but at the same time now i'm way less concerned with that kind of thing now i'm much more focused on purpose yeah in that previous mind frame i could have lived a whole life trading stocks and um i could be trading like subprime mortgages and i could watch people get kicked out of their houses and i would have been like yeah i'm making money and sleep comfortably. And, and sleep comfortably because i'd yeah. be like yeah i'm at the cutting edge i'm doing what i'm doing now i guess i'm a bit more concerned about the state I leave the world in and my, the th- my, my purpose in life. So, and it's not just to acquire paper that has pictures of white people on it. Like it's now it's like, well, let's realize this is like life. This is, you're given this journey, you're given this time, this weird sort of experiences, weird, weird sort of um, uh, span, uh, lifespan, this, this point in time to do something. Mm. Let me make that time stand out as opposed to just try and play it the best. But Ola, you jumped because I want to get that because obviously there was a catalyst yeah. for that. You are LSC, yeah. investment banking course, yeah. en route to become a very successful investment banker, yeah. whatever that image was in your head. Yeah. What so, was that part where you're like, nah? So what happened was, I was... Um, okay, so like throughout my, I'd say my first year... I uh, like really fell in love with stand-up, really. And I've given like the full story on other platforms and stuff, so I won't, I won't go into too much detail, but let's just say I had a really uh, fast internet connection for the first time. Okay. Right? So I left home and um, I moved into halls. I got my own laptop and I got like a really fast internet connection. First thing is just start downloading videos. Fast internet connection. You know, you're gonna fast internet connection. You just you feel like the world is at your fingertips. <laughs> yeah, everything was at my fingertips. So I um I just downloaded a, a bunch of videos and a big proportion of my videos I was downloading was stand up. Cause I was like, this is great to have. Like I can watch all the stand up I, I want now. Like I remember um a friend of mine had got like one of those like a, like the previous sort of love film kind of subscription thing okay where you post a dvd and they post you one like he did that and he'd got a couple of death comedy jam ones nice i'd seen the adverts on tv and i'd watched a couple of those he also lent me original kings of comedy because he bought that on pirate from the barber shop or whatever yeah yeah so i'd seen so those well pirates now i could download all of them i could just watch them all funny enough this very same friend of mine still End up giving me my first ever show, my first ever booking. So he's so go. intertwined with my uh, with my destiny as a stand-up. Um, and, I, and I always let him know how much I appreciate him for that. Um, We're definitely going to get to that because I yeah. want to know about your first stand-up. Right. Yeah, we'll so. get there as well. We'll get there. So um, <laughs> I'm falling in love with stand-up. 
and I'm almost on the level of obsession to the point where I'm waking up in the morning, I want to watch stand-up. Going to bed at night, I want to watch stand-up. I'm in lectures and I want to, and I had, um, we had the video iPad, iPods back then. We had the, um, the, just the one with the dial and scrolling. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, so I, I would convert <laughs> to audio files so I could listen to it on my iPod while I'm in lectures. Because I'm like, oh, this, this set lasts an hour, the lecture's an hour. I can listen to the whole thing through the lecture. I, I had no interest in work. And what began to happen was I realised, you know, at uni, the big jump from school to uni is that at uni, when you study something, you have to study it with passion. Yeah. In school, you can kind of just pay attention, you can game the system, learn what you need to learn to get it right and get the marks. But in uni, it was like, it's now, your teachers aren't trying to help you get good grades. That's not what their aim is. Their aim is to encourage the next great mind or whatever it is. So wherever you're studying, you have to really want to study. You have to want to go and do your own reading. Yeah. I wasn't going to do my own reading. I was like watching more and more stand-up. And um, what then happened was, okay, so towards the end of first year now, there's that bit after exams and before you go away on holiday where you still have your halls of residence. But you ain't got no lectures, you ain't got nothing to do. And I had a girlfriend at the time, and we bought the um, Def Comedy Jam box set finally. I'd seen like snippets and seen one or two DVDs here and there, but I, I saw it like a mad offering Virgin Megastores. Copped that straight away, um, and literally was like days on end of just lying in bed and getting up only to use the toilet and get, go and get more junk food and just watching through the whole thing with her. And I just was like oh my goodness it was so inspiring in two ways one i was like look at these guys Chappelle, rock jamie fox all these guys were on here now look at who they are mm-hmm. it's like it, it was inspiring the other side was like some of these guys on this dvd are terrible yeah they are moist if you made it to the dvd <laughs> <They're moist. laughs> i could make it like if you could do this i could do it so like seeing people that weren't as good also made me feel like you have to at least give it a try mm. So, anyway, I, I, by this point, I love stand-up. Um, I'm watching a lot of it. Fine. Everyone knows me for the fact that, like, this is why I say that comedians are like the philosopher kings of our time, in the sense that I would almost end up bringing stand-up into any conversation people had. Like, right. you'd tell me about, like, someone getting drunk, and I'd be like, oh, Dave Chappelle has a really good bit about someone getting drunk. Then I'd do the bit, like, word for word, and people were like, this guy and his comedy, man. It was much. I would like get every time I have people around, I just want to show them stand up. Like, you guys, no, 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 you need to no, 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 don't, don't talk. This part's been really good. Yeah. So we have to watch this. No, it's too much. Right. So I was just becoming that guy. I You're was that guy. obsessed. Yeah. And then um, I came back for second year, and it was while I was in um, second year that. Um, my friend, the one that gave me the DVDs, named Sam. He was at Aston in Birmingham, okay, and yeah. he was in the ACS. And he was like, "We're putting on an award show. Um, will you come and rap?" Because I used to rap when I was younger, and like everyone used to rap. Right. I come on every. I don't know that. Did you rap at one point? Nah. Okay, you're one of the few <laughs> black guys I know who doesn't have bars somewhere in a little scribbled up notebook. Pop to the shop for some golden wonder. What flavor are you done? I know. Of course, I rap. Of course. <laughs> You had, but I knew it. I knew it. Everyone had buzz. Everyone had buzz. Yeah, yeah. Right. So now we've established that. Yeah. Pops yeah. The for the Golden Wonder. Yeah. Right. Cool. 
I had buzz. I had buzz like when I was sixteen or whatever. So he was like, "You gonna perform other hour rap no more, bro?" But I said, I just said to him, like, off this wave of confidence, "Yeah, but I'm doing stand up now. I've never done a show. I haven't even written any material." And he was like, "Yeah, yeah. you doing stand up? Yeah, yeah, come through then. Come through. Yeah, yeah." I was like, "Yeah, yeah, okay then." And then on my way to the show on the coach to Birmingham, I wrote my set. Amazing. And I and I had a good show. Like people laughed. And I, I remember before I was about to go on stage, someone asked me, Are you funny? I was like, Hell yeah, I'm funny. I, I don't even know where this confidence was coming from because I hadn't done it yet. I, even when as soon as I said it, I was like, What who's but who's this guy? I told you that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But I was so confident that by the time when I Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Then I did it. It was funny because I'd watched so much of it. So you knew about the time and delivery. Exactly. Okay, you see, you strike me as that guy then. Oh, no, you genuinely do. I mean, obviously, you're going to one of the most prestigious universities and you're doing um, investment banking as a course. So you're very methodical and quite meticulous. Is that yes. fair to say? Yes. To the point that actually I think you said you've heard all the black jokes and you figured out their formulas and to you, you're bored of, of it. Of course. What is that? What is that formula? Because I don't you know. Can't, you, can't, you can't explain the formula. You can't. But when okay. you know it in your head, you know it. You can break it down to a few simple structures. But that's right? the thing. I mean, so people listening who are also aspiring comedians, it's like, they, how, how do you, yeah. First thing I tell them is that you just need to go watch stand-up. Like, I have a very analytical mind. Yeah. So, whenever I'm looking at stuff, I'm always looking at, well, how does that work? Yeah. So, that's what I did with stand-up. And I was just able to work out, okay, so I see how you're doing this. It's cheap. It's easy. The, the, the jokes that I grew to love were the ones I couldn't figure out straight away. The ones that were, had a few layers to it. The ones that were, that led you one way and then took you another. The ones that kind of took you, on a, took you down the rabbit hole a bit. So, I was like, that's the kind of comedy I want to do. I want to do the mm. kind of comedy that... You can't just put it together. And if you look at the internet right now, there's a lot of people who think they're comedians because they're able to do that simple sort of putting stuff together. But when you look at the real comic geniuses of our time, you see that they understand laughter so much that they can give you three different levels. They can have... Dave Chappelle can tell a joke in the room where some people are laughing because they find his voice funny. Some people are laughing because they find his face funny. Some people are laughing because... They realized how deep the political message of what he just said was. Some people are laughing because the premise was funny, like the idea of what he, the, the scene he created. 
but he's understood humor so much that he can cater to all those different people in this room will all laugh but he has whether consciously or subconsciously put across a great message through his ability to speak comedy yeah no i get that i do get that so for me i'm just so is there anything that you okay you say listen to a lot of comedy you know watch the best whoever you whoever your inspirations for you you said it was chris well dave Chappelle, and i also read somewhere you said chris rock yeah right i mean ola you genuinely on the route and i 100 percent believe if anyone listening guys honestly you need to be just checking out ola the comedian because he's phenomenal show him Thank love you. come to his shows anything but i do want to almost wrap it up but i want okay. you to give i didn't even finish telling you how i made the switch, precisely yeah. precisely this is, this is where we're at because you know um, okay. i try and keep this nice and Piffy to about yeah. 30 minutes. All right. Um, that said, do tell me the switch, but also I want you, if you can, within this narrative, give my audience like tidbits, actions. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. This is what I did. Okay. And then this is why you potentially can consider doing that yourself because okay. this is where, if that's cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So what happened was. I, I, yeah, took the second to, year. I took you up to second yeah, yeah, for sure. Now what happened is end of don't, second Don't rush it. Let's enjoy it because okay. that's a great story. Do you know right, what I mean? Cool. Nah. <laughs> so during second year, I maybe do like two or three shows here and there. Like I'm starting bit by bit. Towards the end of second year, I see I'm starting to do a few more shows. And where you, get, where you getting booked? Because obviously the first one was Aston. Yeah, ah, so just other, any friend that I knew that was in the university, I was like, next time you're doing an event, just tell them to book me to do it. And I started hitting up. Um, ah, so you went to clubs like ACS clubs, I assume. ACS, yeah. And you're just saying society. whenever you've done your event, listen, exactly. I do comedy. Yeah. Ah, okay. So I came up with the uni crowd. That was my thing at the time, um, and and not only that, I was also just hitting up all the comedians I knew on MySpace. Yeah, MySpace. Yeah. And I was like, you know, Kojo was on MySpace. I was like, oh, can I come and do your club at some point? Because he had a Kojo's Comedy Fun House. Yeah. You know, basically, I just I just wanted to get spots anywhere I could get on. I did all kinds of stuff. Some stuff that was just a complete waste of time. But I still did it. Such as? Do you remember like, the story? Like the, like the worst one I ever did was an event and this was actually booked by my friend Sam again uh, no, Sam. but it was called Rave with the Stars okay. and the idea was they were going to bring um, the, all these Afrobeat stars Idris Abdul Kareem Debange Peace Square they were all going to do this show in Manchester and I was going to do comedy okay worst idea first yeah. of all people are standing for a concert yeah. there's me they want music yeah. they want music second of all they've come to see stars they don't know me, so they're not going to give me a chance. Third of all, I wasn't that good at that time anyway. Right. At the time, obviously, I felt like I was good, but it was it was very much apparent that I did not have what it took to capture their attention while they are waiting for. It started late, you know, and... Did you get heckled and booed? Yeah. Oh, people started screaming, people started chanting, peace, quit, peace, quit. <laughs> oh, I was on stage like, oh, my life, look at my life. So, um... <laughs> yeah so you kept so yeah, doing it, was, it was wild and I, I went off and yeah but I just did any show I could and I was just I was even when I had the bad shows it would get me down but I'd be like bring it like you know like hit myself like yeah I'm, I'm down for this life mm. whatever it takes I'm doing it this is all while she's still in your second year this is all while I'm in second year so now exam second year hit 
and I failed like two modules. Okay. And that was the beginning of the turning point. So that's like July, August, you take the, or well, July you take the exams, by like August you find out that you failed. Not only that, I was applying for second year internships so that by the, so I'd have a job offer by the time I finished third year, go straight to investment bank. And they were all, well like the two that I went for, the interviews that I went for, they both turned me down. Um, and I stopped applying after a while because they both gave me the same feedback. They both said, we get the sense this isn't really what you want to do. Right. And that's partly because I decided within myself I was going to be honest in the interview. I was like, I know how to give interview answers. Everybody can say, go in and say, oh, I love finance. I, I read the financial times, blah, blah, blah. I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be honest with them. I love business. I love entrepreneurship. But I also love stand-up comedy, man. I love stand-up comedy. I'm, I, I, so they all got the sense like, that's not really what I'm doing. Yeah, I was like, of course. And I was like, hold on a second. If they can see it, why am I lying to myself? Why am I trying to convince myself I want to do something I don't really want to do? Because I'm clearly doing it for the wrong reasons. It's clear as night and day to these people who are trained to pick the next best banker that... Ain't you. That I'm not supposed to be. That's not my field. That's not what I'm supposed to be. I could probably have done the job and... I probably would have applied the same sort of analytical skills and been amazing at it, blah, 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 if I decided that's what I was going to focus on. But that's not where I was supposed to be. That's no, I wasn't going to have the added influence of passion. And, um, and that's important. Yeah, and that's very important. So throughout that summer, I didn't get any internships, and I failed a year. And I was like, I was still trying to keep my head up. Like, you know what? I'll retake the exams at the end of the year, but in that year, in that year out, I'm going to like go get a a big job in the bank and blah, blah, I'm still going to be like that guy I want to do another qualification whatever it takes what, what was it that was really making you adamant I mean it was quite as clear as day as you said yeah. do you know what I mean that banking wasn't for you the, you, those it was, internships it was the fact that it felt like a failure okay. I don't accept failure well right. I'm like I'm going to leave on my terms but it was almost as though this was the first time in my life I was having to deal with the fact that this decision is so like pivotal this one was like a real life decision and i just really felt like god was trying to let me know this out of your hands like you you're trying to fight this but the, the quicker you get with the program the easier it's going to be for you and so in many ways i'm forever grateful that it was so difficult for me because it i was being hard-headed about it because i felt like i was failing as opposed to i was really just readjusting right so um when, you're saying happened, when you took a year, like, sort of a year out, yeah. and you're saying you're going to take the exams again. I just again. decided, okay, well, this is it. I'm just going to work. I'm just going to find a job somewhere. Yeah. I just got a job. Because that summer, like, I fell, in, I fell apart. I was, it was rock bottom. I was lying in bed almost all day, just watching 24. Okay. I, yeah, just episode after episode, I was just buying Chinese takeaway and two liter bottles of Fanta Fruit Twist. I oh, just God. didn't care about my body or anything. Like that. It was just, <laughs> I was a mess. <laughs> And then I was like, okay, so eventually I have to pick myself up. Just start working, how? put some money aside. Really get yourself... Um, I asked how. How did you start picking yourself up? So well, you were well, working. Part, partly it was, um, it was my mum okay. just trying to encourage me that, look, don't let this... You, you've always been an excellent person. This isn't like some... I felt like it was one big reveal that like, oh, I wasn't smart this whole time. And right. I've now been found out. I was just good at convincing people that I was smart before, but... 
She was like, don't, don't accept that for yourself. You know, you are smart, you are exceptional, and you always have been. If this isn't what you want to do, that's fine, but don't let it like knock you out. Mm. So uh, eventually, I had to change my way of thinking. But then I did have like a, a life-changing moment, like an encounter with God, like that. I okay. Would put it as it. W- it started off with um, uh, one Sunday. I went to church, basically, and um, it was. So that this was like by I think like October time, so I had now okay so not even just that comedy had started going badly as well. Okay, and I had a few bad shows on a truck. A bad show being you being heckled and not like, necessarily heckled, but okay. like just people. I did actually get heckled a couple of them, but yeah, yeah, like just ones where it wasn't going so well. My jokes were landing, okay. and I was like, but I was good at this. Like so now, I really just felt like I was completely yeah. down and out in life. So um. Well, I was in church on Sunday and the message was on like uh, I think it was titled uh, it's not over yet and the whole message was like you might be dining out right now but God's about to do something great with you and my mom like kind of looked at me like are you listening kind of thing and this is the moment and later on that night I had a gig at Kojo's Comedy Funhouse and I was on my way there and um, I was in East Croydon Station and a guy came up to me, sat down, he was like, oh, you're, I see you're a Christian. I was trying to work out like how he knew or whatever. I was like, yeah. And he was like, oh, did you go to church today? How was church? I was like, yeah, it was great. Um, he's like, which church do you go to? I said, oh, it's in Streatham. Which would, I asked him which church he goes to. He's like, oh, it's just one in Brixton. So tell me, what did you learn today? And I started telling him everything it was. But as I was telling him, I was almost like speaking to myself as well. Like, uh, okay. And it kind of applies to me. It was so important for me to hear it because, you know, I'm going through like a tough time and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he was like, oh, so where are you heading now? I'm like, I'm off to, the, to a comedy show. I'm just hoping that this one's going to be a turnaround, blah, blah, blah. He was like, where's the comedy show? I'm like, okay, cool. So we're having this conversation. And all the time I'm talking to him, like people are looking at us weird. And I was just, I just paid no attention to it. And then he goes, oh, by the way, what's the time? So I looked up, um, I looked down at my wrist and I looked up at the um, display and I turned back to tell him the time and he disappeared. And I was like, come on now, come on now, what's this? And I realized my train was waiting there, but I looked around quickly, like, where's this guy? Why would he just run off like this? And and I was like, really spooked out, like, what the, I've, I've been talking to somebody that clearly I could, only I could see. That's why people were looking at us weird. Yeah. But I was, and, and this was like really real for me. Like I was like looking up and down the platform for this guy. I was looking up and down the train. I was like, must see this guy somewhere and I was just like wow okay okay so I went from there I had a great show that night I had great shows like like Monday Tuesday Wednesday then like on the Tuesday I had like a repeat of a dream I'd seen and some guy sat down next to me while I was reading a law textbook one of the modules I had to retake and he was like you know you're great right anyway it was just like for somebody that was down and out believing that like, oh, it's pretty much all done for me. It was like, wow, this is a real sort of undeniable change in my life story, you know, where I'm having all these sort of supernatural moments. And I just like, I really got on my grind from there. That's when I decided I want to get everyone together. 
I'm going to put on my own show and I'm going to shoot my first DVD, which is what I did. Nice. On the 1st of August, uh, 2008, I shot 21, that's what I called it. And um, that was a life-changing moment for me. I even said it at the end of the DVD that I feel like that was the moment I committed to doing stand-up. So I was like, well, okay, well, here's the plan. I'm going to go back to uni because I don't like leaving things undone. I'm going to finish the degree as best I can. You know, I probably was sitting like a third at, the, at that point. But I'm like, turn that around. And I ended up with like a 2-2, which I was still not 100% happy with. But I was like, well, that was the aim, was to go and finish it. Yeah. And do the best I could to sort of turn it around. And then once you're done with that, full throttle comedy. Amazing. And I was like, this is my life now. This is it. I mean, I get it, and I'm hoping the listeners also get it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because it's very palpable that comedy is your passion and just your driving force into your life. And some of the bits that you've mentioned in terms of how someone can possibly emulate is A, do as much research, live it, watch, passion, watch passion it, your passion. Hello. Secondly, you were like, you went to all the communities, like the uni communities and events, yeah. and said, Thinking This is what I do. This is what I do. Trying to make it happen any which way. And so people were booking you, and that's how you were getting a little bit of change to do what you were doing. Like they'll send you up to Manchester, etc. How'd you get to America? So America actually was just a matter of. Well, she was my friend, then she later on became my girlfriend. She was going to America anyway. She was like, Do you want to come for the Obama inauguration? I was like, Hell hell yeah, I'm I'm not going to miss that moment in history. Of course, I'm going to go. And so when, when, when I agreed to go and I bought my ticket and everything, I was like, well, I might as well try and do comedy because obviously comedy was my was everything to me. So I had like contacts here who knew contacts there and just put everything together. And basically, I got booked on a show nice. in DC and I did that. And it just, the first thing my, my girlfriend then said to me was, well, you know, now you started, you have to come back again. Like, you, this can't be it. So I was like, yeah, I guess I guess this is it now. So I'm, I'm really like involved. So uh, after doing that, I was super pumped. Like I can go to America. I can do spots there as well. Yeah, I, I can think beyond. You know, this the uni shows and stuff. And I think the year out kind of taught me that uni is a bit of a bubble. You right. know, it's great for, for harvesting and growing and incubating, but. You need to be able to break out of uni because one day uni is going to spit you out and most people have no like real world preparation. I've had preparation now going, taking, going from taking a talent, developing it, and then marketing myself worldwide. Even though on a small scale, it was just doing one show in DC, but it was now a matter of realizing that this, the world is what you make of it. Yeah, for sure. You know, I was, and if you want to do this comedy thing, think outside the box, push, try and find an avenue, make it happen. And so I, I saved up the rest of my uh, student loan uh, from the third term. And I said, you know, I'm not going to spend too much. First thing I did was buy my ticket to New York. So it was my graduation present to myself. As soon as I graduated, I was going to go spend four weeks in New York. And that's what wow. I did. Four, and that was my sort of baptism into, like, now it's deciding I'm going to become a full-time stand-up. Nice. And four weeks in New York was everything I needed. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay, Ola, so I do definitely need to wrap this up. Now, I want to ask two things. Yeah. It's quite saturated, the entertainment industry, when it comes down to ethnics, like the BME community. So what are that challenges from a black UK perspective are you finding? And also, I want you to also tell us about your mission about stay gigging. Do you know what I mean? To wrap wrap that up. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, the, the challenge is with like being of an ethnic minority in this country is that you kind of find comedian. yourself a comedian. You kind of find yourself in a weird place because if I'm honest, I make most of my money performing to mostly white audiences because one, they're the majority, and two, I want to be I want to be one of the greatest comedians who ever lived. So I don't want that to be contextualized within a black context. I want it to be one of the greatest, undeniable. So it just means by numbers, I'm gonna perform in front of white people most. But white people are still very protected in this country as to what they can relate to. Every night, I make a room full of white people laugh, and I go and sit down with a white TV executive, and they pretend like all of a sudden now I'm an alien because white people can only really relate to someone who's exactly like them. So they're more likely to keep churning out middle-class white boys because they're the ones who are um, holding the wealth and power in the country. So they'll churn out stuff that looks like them. Yeah. Right? So for me, I'm going through it in the sense that I know this country will never 100% accept me as um, one of the lads. It's always with a but. Mm. So I've come to accept that now. So it's like when you think British comedian, they're never just going to say me. It has happened to me before that I've sort of been put forward as, as an example of British comedian, but usually it's kind of like British Nigerian or Black British or, you know, um, young, upcoming British, blah, blah, blah. There's always like some extra they have to put on it. So for me, having to understand that means that you know. You're never going to get that normality. You're never going to get that official stamp of like you are the leading household name when it comes to comedy. It's mostly going to be someone like Michael McIntyre time and time again. Yeah. That's who That's who looks official. Then on top of that, it also means that I have the double-ended struggle, which means with my own people, I don't quite fit in because my people have a very narrow view of what it means to be black and a comedian. Right? We haven't necessarily allowed ourselves a whole range of diversity in our own talents because we've often confused uniformity for unity. We're trying to be unified, but we almost then enforce all people to be uniform for us to be unified, which is not true. Yeah, there are, it, You're just as black if you like death metal yeah, as if you like hip-hop. the stereotypes. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, hip-hop isn't wrong, but at the same time, you don't have to like hip-hop. But... For us, we almost sort of just say, well, there's only one way to be black. So it, it extends to comedy as well. In the sense that if I don't fit the high energy, highly acted out, certain very narrow view of topics, then I'm not necessarily good for black comedy shows anymore. So it's finding my audience is always going to be the toughest part. Yeah. And, you know, the internet kind of helps in the sense that you can kind of go direct to consumer, but certain th- only certain things do really well on the internet. It's usually like shock, scandal, outrage, all those kind of things. If you're just trying to put out good content, it's hard. It's very easy to get lost. There's so much stuff going on on the internet. So in many ways, that's the problem I'm facing, being an ethnic manager, is trying to find my audience. And the truth is, my audience is going to be like the people I started off with, educated young black people, like the people in the universities I started off performing to. But then it's also middle-aged white people that, you know, populate a lot of the shows that I perform at now and come up to me and say they love me and they buy my DVD. But it's like, how do I collate all of these? Whereas if I had the official stamp of those in power, I would just be on TV and then everyone would automatically 
flop because you've got that official stamp. Yeah. I'm trying to prove that without the stamp. And then your second question was about stay gigging, right? And um, stay gigging. Oh, is, but guys, let me just uh, well, just explain that. I mean, I'm looking at Ola right now and he's got a beanie hat with the hashtag stay gigging. And when I first met him, he pretty much... That's what he spat at me, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm feeling this guy." So, yeah, yeah. tell me about your stay gigging philosophy. Dude, I've kind of I've staked my whole career on a bit of an idealistic belief that, in the end, my dedication, my passion, and talent, and hard work, and whatever, is all going to shine through, way beyond the end, all of the fluff. Because to be honest, I could come, I could get hundreds of thousands of followers one day if I just like start doing some wild stuff. Yeah. You know, people become famous for doing crimes, people become famous for having sex a sex tape. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like you could do whatever it is, but what I'm trying to, what I'm betting on, I'm betting on quality. I'm betting that that diligence in my work is what is going to eventually make me count. So what I've often tried to encourage myself, which is, which is why I try and put it out there for other people as well, is that as long as I stay gigging, as long as I keep working, I keep getting up, keep going to the comedy clubs, keep churning up good material, good content, I keep improving, keep getting better, the day will come and I will be ready. You see what I'm saying? Like yeah, for sure. There's many times you can get sidetracked and you can get almost discouraged. You feel like maybe I have to change, maybe I have to go and be like this person who's doing really well. And I'll try and remind myself that no, just stay gigging. And I wanted people to know me for that. I wanted people to know me as somebody who is relentless with his work, diligent with his work. Like he's not a comedian just for the sake of he wanted to get on guest list to go to parties and he wanted to get girls or whatever it was. This is somebody that was down for stand up. Mm. You see what I'm saying? So yeah, I hear that. When I, when I put it out there as stay gigging, it doesn't. It can then be sort of widened out and extrapolated for other people's lives you know there's people out there who are doing all kinds of things with excellence and they're not quite getting the recognition they deserve now but what i wanted to do was encourage those people that the world needs you to continue to be excellent you see what i'm saying like whatever it is even with your podcast you someone needs you you could cut a bunch of corners you could be like i don't really care too much about getting decent sound equipment i could be you could be like i don't really care too much about um, who I get on as long as it's big I just want it to be big you can talk a whole heap of nonsense and fill people's heads with all kinds of madness but someone needed you to get out there and go and find positive black stories and to be excellent in what you're doing someone needed you to put black articulate together to inspire them to think about black in terms of action and being articulate all together as one thing someone needs that and that's the reason why I, I talk about living a life of purpose and I talk about not wanting to be forgotten and having that legacy. It's about excellence. It's about diligence and it's about stay digging. Uh, Ola, that is just amazing. So how can we find you and how can we support? Ola the Comedian, man. OLA the Comedian and everything. My DVD is out. Uh, my current DVD is called The Comedian and His Future Wife. Um, it's, it's quite a deep show. It's about my search for a wife and, I, and I've tried to write it like in a very layered way. So you kind of you get a lot out of it, put it that way. It's not just a bunch of slapdash jokes. I really like tweaked it. And you can see on the extras, like I really put work into it. So um, yeah. so yeah, I just, I, I really want people to go out and support that. 
watch it, tell someone else about it. The Comedian and His Future Wife. You can get it from allofthecomedian.com. It's available as a digital download as well, as well as DVD. So whether you want the physical copy or digital copy, you can get it. And, um, and yeah, just like interact with me, man. I like talking to people. I like discussion. I like growth. I like knowledge. I like people who kick knowledge. I like people who bring the wisdom. Um, so hit me up, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is, and let's connect. Yeah, amazing. Well, once again, all other comedian, thanks very much for coming on Black Titulator. Thank you, Eddie, man. Appreciate you. And guys, once again, um, look out for the next episode. You've been great. Hey guys, how did you find the episode? I hope it was useful. Um, we're always trying to make this as useful as possible to you. So if you do what it is our guest did, and there were things that we didn't cover or the things that we didn't talk about, then please get in touch. And secondly, if you are able to teach us what it is you do as a profession, then also get in touch because we would love to feature you on Black Ticulate. And you can do that via our social media accounts or even our email which is contact at blackticulate.com we appreciate your support as always and we'll see you on the next episode of black ticulate have a great day bye hey it's Paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.